0: Thing you should know about me. I specialize in a very specific type of security. Subconscious security.
1: You're talking about dreams.
2: Welcome to Now Playing the Movie Review Podcast. I'm hoping you have something more elegant in mind than shooting me in the head. Hosted by Arnie, Jacob, and Stuart. Taught me to navigate people's minds. Today we are reviewing Christopher Nolan's Inception. I hate to see out of control. This podcast is spoiler-filled and may contain harsh language. Listener discretion is advised.
3: Today we're reviewing Inception, starring Leonardo DiCaprio, Ken Wantanabe. Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Marion Cotillard, Ellen Page, and Cillian Murphy. This is Arnie, co-host of Now Playing, and with me again is the Leonardo DiCaprio fan club. That's right, Stuart in L.A.
1: And this is Jacob, card club holder number 3742 of the Leo fan club. Which one's is
0: your favorite? I go with Man in the Iron Mask.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. I'm kind of confused. Maybe I had a dream that we watched this movie before. Didn't we already watch and review a movie about Leonardo kind of being crazy creating a world in his head to cope with the fact that he murdered his wife
0: shutter island yeah Yeah. didn't we just do this movie (laughs) yeah i thought we left that
3: island but we're back on that island but we brought cillian murphy and tom berenger with us so stewart why don't you explain what it is we saw and just spoil the hell out of this movie
0: (laughs) this one is not easy to get down into a few short sentences but i will be as brief as As I possibly can. Inception takes place in a near future where your most private thoughts and ideas can be lifted from your head while you sleep as nimbly as bank robbers stealing money from a vault. Leonardo DiCaprio plays Dom Cobb, a former architecture student who dreams up cityscapes designed to expose the deepest secrets of unsuspecting corporate executives which are then sold to competitors back in the real world. Now, even though Dom is the best at what he does, he's tripped up by bad intelligence during an extraction job at the start of this movie, and that forces him to work for Saito, a man he was hired to shake down. This is Japanese CEO Saito is powerless to stop a rival company from gaining the monopoly of the world's energy resources, so he wants Dom to enter the mind of Robert Fisher Jr., played by Cillian Murphy, This is the son that will inherit the whole energy company when his terminally ill father passes in a few weeks, and brainwash the son into dismantling and downsizing his family business. This procedure is called inception, and when done properly, the person actually believes that the implanted idea comes from their own inspiration and is not a negative impulse put there by outside influences. And this is much harder to do than just stealing an idea from your mind, which we'll learn as the movie progresses. The first half of the movie follows Dom and his right-hand man, Arthur, as they assemble the perfect team. And this includes Ellen Page's gifted architecture student, Ariadna, Eames, a wry forgerer who can look and act like whoever he needs to in the dream world, and a chemist named Yusuf who designs a sedative potent enough to put Fisher and the team under into the deepest sleep possible, dangerously close to the subconscious, where anything can happen, and if you get screwed up and killed in the dream, you might never come out of it, or come out of it with permanent brain damage. Now, the team takes a few weeks to study the father and son fishers and design the perfect heist, the perfect mind crime, as you would. One doozy of a sting, which involves building three distinctive interconnected dreams. And the second half of the movie takes place once the senior fisher dies, and Dom and the team jump on a 747 with Fisher going from Sydney to Los Angeles and attempt Inception. Now, here's Dom's bind. He is wanted in America for the murder of his wife, Mal, and will be arrested when the plane lands. Sato promises to use his influence to get Dom through airport security, but only if Inception works. For Dom... It's worth taking this risk because all he wants out of life right now is to see his two kids again, who he left behind in America when he had to flee. But a projection of Mal, the dead wife, has been haunting Dom for several jobs now and threatens to destabilize the team's very complicated three-layered inception plot as she lures Dom back with her into the dark recesses of the subconscious. And eventually, she comes into the third dream, kidnaps Fisher... And Dom and Ariadna dive into the watery subconscious to get him back in the climax. We learn the full story of Mal's death, and it's sort of a cautionary tale about how you don't want dreaming to substitute for real living. Dom accepts the role that he played in her death and vanquishes her, in essence. Fisher awakens with a renewed confidence as Inception takes hold that he will dismantle his father's company and be his own man. Dom goes looking for Sato, who has died in the dream world, and finds him in the subconscious as an old man. And a lot of what happens in the last moments of the film is intentionally ambiguous, but we're led to believe that everyone on the team awakens on the plane, Inception has worked, Dom gets past the airport security, and finds his father and kids waiting for him, which might be reality, Another Dream, or even The Afterlife. I'm sure we're going to get into what all of that means. I've left out pages and pages of details in trying to summarize this movie. It is easily the most intricate and complicated movie we've ever looked at and now playing. Guys, first thing I want to know before we talk about anything else is what is your takeaway? We have just all seen this movie within the last 48 hours, some of us 12 hours, How do you feel about Inception? How much of it is even sunk in?
1: You know, I went to lunch with my wife yesterday. She didn't go to the movie with me. And she's like, well, how was the movie? What's it about? And man, I I just want to say, Stuart, I'm impressed with your summary here because she just looked confused when I tried to describe this movie and she gave up. (laughs) There's a lot, a lot going on here and here's the thing there's so much going on it was hard for me to explain it but nolan does it he he presents it in such a way that i didn't feel it's as complicated as it sounds when you read or hear about the plot it's it's presented in a way that there was times i was confused but i i understood the basics i understood the logic of the movie and this dream world and what they were trying to do And that was my biggest fear is that I was just going to be lost half the time and not understand what's going on. But I feel that the movie was presented in a way that it it was easy to grasp. The viewing I went to, I went to a midnight show, almost sold out, packed, mostly people, you know, in their early 20s. And I'm like, oh, these people are here on dates. These young kids, these young rascals aren't going to get this film. Every single person was talking about this movie after the film. It was like everyone stayed in their seat to talk about it. People got it. And that's what impressed me is complicated. And as much as going on in this film, you get what's going on.
3: I agree with Jacob that I was a little bit nervous going in about being able to really understand it on a single viewing. And Stuart, you've already seen this twice now.
0: Yes. I feel so fortunate to have seen this movie twice before talking about it with you guys. I actually feel bad for you guys because one viewing is not enough if you really want To tackle this movie. And I can assure you this. I felt like I got 80% of the movie the first time I watched it. I feel like I got about 95% of the movie now. See,
3: I went into this kind of realizing I'd only have one chance to see it. And so I went in, senses completely alert. And just engaged this movie. And I'm glad I did. This isn't a passive movie. You need to work at this movie. I went in there prepared for that because you'd said you were going to see it twice. I'm like, well, I, I can't. I just don't have time in the day. So I went in, prepared to absorb as much of it as I could. And I was worried, like Jacob, that I might have to see it a second time just to comprehend the story. I was able to follow the story, and I think I was able to get a lot out of it. It was certainly visually stunning, and it engaged. The fact that I went in there, senses alert, it engaged me on every level and took the game to the next level was
0: Impressive. You can sometimes feel stranded by movies you don't understand, like I'm not going any further because I need to understand this before I go further. You understand as much as you need to, to go further. You don't understand everything that's going on on a first viewing. I'm not even sure I got everything on the second viewing, although it was close. I do feel confident in saying it does all make sense once you start processing it, but this movie moves at a speed faster than you can process it, but it doesn't move so fast that you can't enjoy it. And I think that is a rare talent to be able to pull a feat off like that. I wouldn't use the word fun. I think we overuse that word fun. It is an engaging experience to watch Inception. I'm
1: going to ask you about the pacing. You, you know, you, you told us it, it gives us as much as we need to know. It, it does that in an efficient way. I felt the first half, before we really get into the brain heist, the Inception portion, I felt it, it was kind of paced slow. And there's a lot of information, a lot of exposition to get out. I felt though it could have been done a bit more efficiently. It, I don't know. It, it's hard for me to describe, but there just seemed a bit of a, of a clunkiness at the beginning of this film, the first half. And maybe that's because I'm trying to figure out what's going on. It doesn't explain everything right away. You jump right in at the beginning of this movie in a dream, but there's something about before you get into the heist that it didn't quite work for me.
3: Mm. Well, here's the thing about this movie. Christopher Nolan is very talented. I'm not going to say I like all of his movies. I love Memento, though. Memento is one of my all-time favorite films. But in a movie about dreams, it opens like a dream where we start with one of the scenes from the end, which is so overused in cinema anymore. I'm sick of it, where, you know, the movies end as it begins. Mm -hmm. But it starts with Leonardo and the old man Japanese guy, Sato. I'm glad that he had really poor old age makeup on, because that made me know that he was supposed to be somebody young later and keep my eyes open for who Sato was. And then it just, like, jump cuts to a much earlier time when Leo is invading Sato's mind. And it's very much like a dream, especially in the opening. It's disorienting on purpose. And at one point, Leo says in the dream, you don't remember how a dream begins. You don't remember how you got to where you are. I think he's really trying to mess with us in the beginning so we don't remember how we got there. I, You know, Stuart, in your summary, you didn't talk too much about the beginning. I think it's because he drops you in and you are supposed to feel like this whole thing is like a dream and it... Moves so quickly from thing to thing, and it doesn't spend a whole lot of time on its narrative. It spends a whole lot of time on its visuals. And so, as such, it is a hard movie to connect to early on because it is jumping around so much.
0: You, wait, uh, you can't possibly mean that. You're saying it doesn't spend enough time on the story? It doesn't spend time on the narrative? Especially in the beginning,
3: it doesn't. I would have expected some more exposition, some more character stuff.
0: <laughs> Are you serious? This is the most exposition-heavy movie I've ever seen, ever. I felt like every line of dialogue was explaining something to us. That was actually my bump against it. And the first time I watched it, Jacob, what you were saying about not connecting with it, I think it was an emotional not connecting. Like, I was like, I get what's happening, but I don't feel like a rush from it. I feel like I'm working so hard to understand that when exciting chase scenes happen in Zero Gravity— I'm not thrilled by that because I'm still trying to figure out what's going on. But this movie, I don't think that they could have gotten any more story in here. I mean, it's as densely packed as you could possibly get. I mean, they have to explain so much, so many characters, so many whys and hows. I don't think that it's a visual over narrative story at all. I think, if anything, it is a story that has to keep explaining and keep reminding you of what is going on. And, and that's the purpose. If there's a purpose at all to Ellen Page's character is she's sort of our avatar in this world. She's the person we project ourselves into. She's the newbie who has to have everything explained to her.
3: I agree. And when Ellen Page came in, my brain heaved a sigh of relief. Finally, somebody who's going to have to have it explained what's going on. And there were scenes of it, but, it all felt like a montage. It felt like this entire
0: movie was being told to me through montages. It is. This cut so fast. And the cutting is very good. I appreciated it all. I appreciated everything more in the second viewing. But I appreciated the construction of it so much more upon second viewing. It is very well done. But it doesn't feel necessarily very well done. When you're watching it the first time, it feels overwhelming and there's no way it's not going to be. My initial take coming out of the movie honestly was it needed to be an hour longer to do what it wanted to do, but I didn't necessarily want another hour of it. And watching it again, I just realized, no, I have to adjust my brain. These characters are going to speak in heavy exposition and it's going to move from scene to scene to scene and very important details are going to be dropped. Out of characters' mouths, like, as an aside. Like, not even as a, like, we're going to put the camera in front of their face as they're telling you this, even though you have to understand it. It's just the style of the movie. And once you adjust to it, you can really appreciate it a lot more. I think it's about repeat viewings. I honestly think that on a first viewing, it's not completely tangible.
1: All I'm saying, Stuart, it's disorienting at the beginning. And it's not a comfortable chaos that I felt you know there's movies that jump right into the action and you could go with it here you have Leonardo waking up on a beach confronting an old man with a gun jump scene to a party where his wife's trying to sabotage whatever he's trying to get done jump scene to some grimy hotel in some Asian country where there's a riot going on outside jump scene to Leonardo being chased in Africa I mean I understand there's a lot of story here Yes. It, it's just, yeah, I, I like when Ellen Page comes in. I agree with you there, Arnie. It's just before there, I, I just felt disoriented, and I'm like, who are these characters? Why am I caring about what they're doing? It's just so much to take in.
0: Yeah, I'm not going to disagree with you. There is a whole lot of what happens... In a movie like this is you don't know what's important and what's not important. And since we don't know who Sato is, I spend a whole lot of time at the beginning trying to question every motive and what he's about in this energy company and what's his real motive. And Lucas Haas, the little Amish boy from *Witness*, is there, and he gets yanked away from the movie very quickly. I'm like, he's going to come back and be a part of the plot and blah, blah. No, a lot of what happens in the first 20 minutes isn't particularly important to what happens in the rest of the movie, at least as far as storylines carrying over. It's more important in telling you how dream logic works. What are the rules of the game? That's what it's about. And I agree. We didn't need everything that we learn about COBOL and the rivalry Sato has against Cobalt, because Sato's being shaken down at the beginning. Alio has been hired to pick his mind, the safe in his mind, and take his expansion plans to another company. Well, that other company doesn't play into any of the rest of the story, and Lucas Haas doesn't come back into the story. And truly, all we really need to know is that Sato is impressed with how they're able to build dreams within dreams, and thinks they are good enough to plan the heist that he wants to do, with this new character that's introduced 30, 40 minutes into the story.
3: I don't think there's any way, if we did a three-hour podcast, I don't think we could go through this movie scene by scene. So I'm going to jump to a really big question I have for you guys. Okay. Do we ever see reality, in your
0: opinion, or is every single scene in this movie a dream? Absolutely we see reality. I would not accept or endorse or like a movie in which everything is a dream. But I think Nolan is a spiritual enough person to question even material reality. And that us sitting here talking on a podcast is in some form uh, an alternate reality, another dream, if you would. But given that, yes, there is an absolute reality. I think it's very important you understand that they have a brilliant device to tell you when you're in reality And that is the totem. Leonardo DiCaprio has a little top. He spins it. And if it keeps spinning, he knows he's still in somebody else's dream. If it falls over, that is reality. And believe that. That is a truth. That is never not true. But what if he
3: was in his own dream? Would the top fall? He said the top doesn't fall when he's in somebody else's dream. The whole thing with the wife, which is the central plot, you know, while the plot of the movie is to plant an idea in Cillian Murphy's head, The true character arc of this film is around Dom, the Leonardo DiCaprio character. Yes,
0: and his relation with his wife is the backbone of the whole thing.
3: Yes. He and his wife went into a dream within a dream. And in dreams they say, and I love this concept, I just absolutely love it, that time is different. So five minutes in the real world of sleep is an hour in that dream. Well, you go deeper into that dream and it becomes what? Is it a week?
1: Yeah, it gets yeah. longer and longer, which is totally true. I mean, I don't know if you guys pay attention to your dreams or remember your dreams, but I'll take a 10-minute nap, and I'll have dreams that
3: seem like they went on forever.
1: Yeah. I mean, I really connected with this concept because it's something I clearly recall when I do dream.
3: And so he and his wife, Mal, spent 50 years together in this dream world, just creating and enjoying, and then his first inception is planting the idea in her mind That that world is not real so that they can return to the real world. And the problem is that idea stays planted in her mind so that when they return to the real world, the way you return to the real world, assuming you're not drugged, which they do later in the movie, is to kill yourself. And if you kill yourself in the dream, then you wake up, which was – So much nicer they didn't Nightmare on Elm Street, and if you die in your dream, you die for real. I was so glad they didn't do that. His wife, Mal, is now obsessed with killing herself, thinking the real world isn't the real world, and by killing herself, she would become real. And she frames Dom for this murder because she wants him to kill himself, too, to join her in the real world. So... My question is, though, it is brought to bear that there is a possibility that this real world we see where Dom is wanted for murder may not be real. Because in the dream, all people who aren't one of the dreamers are subconscious projections of the primary dreamer. And they rebel. I, again, love this, that they claim it's like white blood cells to fight out other people in the dream. So the fact that Dom is being mercilessly chased by this faceless corporation who may want to kill him and everybody's persecuting him it is brought up as a question that this whole reality in which dom lives and in which he's wanted for murder could all be a dream and it's possible when his wife killed himself she did wake up
1: i thought there might be some twist like that at the end that maybe mal was right that maybe they were still stuck in a dream
3: i'm gonna go out on a limb I'm going to throw down right now. I think she was right.
1: I don't. And again, maybe Stuart can give us some insights since he's seen this multiple times. I after one viewing, I don't know if there's enough evidence to support that. I feel this movie needs some kind of a firm foundation, at least some points of reality for the viewer or else you just don't trust anything. And I I feel movies like this, you have to have at least a little bit that you could trust or else it's hard to get invested in the film. When you can't believe anything,
3: I completely agree, and that's one of my problems with the whole "it's all a dream" movies. It really didn't work for me on Shutter Island. With this movie, there's one thing, and Nolan kept putting the scene in, and it's when Dom and Mal are asleep on the floor, and Mal wakes up, and she sits up, and you you know what I'm talking about when they're in that house, and it's yes, you yeah. she that- sits up, he stays down, okay. So I think that was our glimpse of the real world. She jumped off the building, she woke up, and all the rest of this is still in Dom's head. I really think that's what we were seeing there.
1: I think if Nolan wanted to get at that, there needed to be a final scene where we think it's reality and Leo maybe, maybe not, it's suicide.
3: Is not that what we get? Absolutely not.
1: No, I, I have a different interpretation of the ending. I think he's still stuck in limbo. Well, I think that's what Nolan's going for. Is he stuck in limbo? Or is there a reality? Did he get Sato to kill himself, and and, and did Dom kill himself so they could get out of limbo? I, well, I I, I'm, not, I'm not, I'm
0: not, I'm not going to go into the ending right now. I think we should say that. But to answer your question about is this a possible take? Absolutely, Arnie. I think it, the movie is constructed like a lot of Nolan movies to have multiple simultaneous opinions about what's going on. Yes, that could be true. I don't think it's possible to define. Which one is the absolute truth? Is it all a dream? I don't tend to go with those concepts because, like Jacob, I need a grounding in some kind of reality. Otherwise, it's easy to dismiss the whole thing. But, yes, life could all be a dream. I mean, that's that's the concept we get. We live in a world now where people believe they're going to die and go to another place, and that's the real reality. The movie definitely gets into those spiritual questions. We'll talk about that at the end. But to answer your question, no, for me, it's very important to believe that the reality is every time he spins the top, it falls over. And that all of these things that are happening are a reality when he is collecting the team and diving into the heads.
3: Part of the reason why I feel this is because they set up in, a, in this movie, again, like I said earlier, Dom says, when you're in a dream, you don't know how you got to where you are. Wasn't that a problem with any movie you watch is you see two characters in a bar. Well, the movie's only going to show you scenes that are interesting. They're not going to show you how those two characters get to the bar. Nolan intentionally makes this movie feel like a dream at times. But at other times, I can't tell if he's trying to make it feel like a dream or if it's just a movie where it's cutting out the characters getting from point A to point B so that it tells story rather than showing mundane details of everyday life. But so much of this movie is involved in jump cuts and montages and feels so dreamy that that's again why I kind of go with the it it was all a dream kind of thing because that's how the entire movie felt to me from the beginning is like a dream following the rules that Nolan sets up for dreams.
0: Yeah, I I think it's definitely possible. Knowing that Leo is a character consumed with guilt, knowing that he is someone who is trying to free himself of the death of his wife, and his role in planning the idea that would eventually grow to kill her. Yes, this could all be seen as him diving into himself and learning how to forgive himself, learning how to let go of that, and that we never see anything but that spiritual journey. His reality, his waking life, we might not have seen any of that. That's a possible interpretation. For my money, for for me, I need to believe that the stuff with the team... Diving into the heads is real because we spend so much time on that. If this movie were all about Mal, then maybe I would be inclined to go with your version, Arnie. But because there is so much of the rest of the plot, I need to believe in the reality of it. You've mentioned some of the rules with time distorting. How do you guys feel about Dream World itself? How it's done here? One of the things that we learn is that. Dreams within dreams are very unstable and prone to influence as to what's happening to the dreamer's body. Case in point, in one dream, they're driving around in a van. It's slinging the dreamers back and forth in the back seat. That balance, that being thrown around, is actually impacting the way they move in their dream inside of that.
1: Well, I love the Uh, fact that in, in the first level dream, it's raining because the guy had to take a piss. Right. He when was he drinking asleep.
0: champagne. Yeah. He was drinking too much <laughs> champagne in first class and then said, oh, it's time to do my job. Sets the the glass over there. It's like, no, you should have really gone to the bathroom because this is on your mind. <laughs> and yeah, it's raining on him the rest of the, the whole time in that reality.
1: Like, I think the way they approach the dream world, I mean, this is a very, you know, they call them architects. This is very mathematical dreaming. It's not like, you know, you usually think of dreaming, at least the way I dream. You're in a setting and things kind of weirdly morph and there's, you know, fantasy elements and all that. This is a very structured type of dream, but there's still those elements, whatever's happening to the dreamer, they still factor in. That's what struck me at first, that this was a very different kind of interpretation of dreaming. You know, you're not going to have a unicorn. Uh, Walk across a street unless the architect has planted that or something. It's nobody's naked.
0: Nobody's having sex. Nobody's walking Waking up at class naked. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, what's the point of dreams like this? Yes, let me get into that. I feel like my initial bumping up against this movie was exactly that. I'm like, this doesn't feel like a dream I would have. I don't think it's meant to. I actually think. And this became much clearer in watching it a second time that this is Nolan talking about the process of being a filmmaker. The dreams that he's talking about are really what it's like to be someone that makes films and goes back and forth between having a real life and a home life with kids. His wife is actually his longtime producer. Every movie he's ever made, his wife, Emma Thomas, is been there to collaborate. So Mal and Dom are them. And this is really an expression about how difficult it is to go from the fantasies, which sometimes can be much more exciting than the mundanity of their day-to-day raising kids and how they balance that, how addictive it is to be in there. And as he talks about what it is to build a dream world, well, let's just look at what he did at Batman. He applies a realistic scenario to fantastical characters. And what's so great about his Batman movies is how plausible they are, how he's Thought them through and they really have a tangible reality to it. That's exactly what's happening into these dreams. These aren't the dreams you and I would have. These are how you make fantasies real or rather real enough to get audiences to buy into it. You don't have to make a perfect movie. You don't construct a perfect city in a dream. There are always flaws, and they talk about that with the stairs and the paradoxes. There are always things you can point to, and now playing is very good at doing that. <laughs> of that, that are not a hundred percent syncing up. No movie is perfect. The game is to make something dreamy enough and seductive enough that you don't mind the imperfections, that you want to believe in its reality and live in it. And that's what Nolan does as a filmmaker. This is a filmmaker manifesto, and that's what he's saying here through Dom. Leo is a perfect stand-in for Christopher Nolan. They, they've cut his hair the same way. If you've seen any production photos, it's intentionally so that Leo... Looks exactly like Christopher Nolan. This is Nolan speaking through Leo about what it is to be a filmmaker. And I think one of the interesting levels you can look at the film is in exactly that having him directly address us, the audience, about how he tricks us into his plots, into his stories, and makes dreams real to us
1: kind of building on that i that's a great manifesto there Stuart. i don't know how much more insight i i I could bring into that but but i like the way you do get these different levels and as filmmakers you know uh, often people get pushed into different boxes what kind of filmmaker they are i i love the fact that within these dreams you get these different kinds of films you know you you get this this chase film in the first dream, in the second dream, it's more of this psychological thriller where there, there, it's, you know, not a lot of action. There, there's some later on, but then you get the third dream, which is this full on action movie, which I wasn't expecting at all. People running around in their, their snow camouflage, shooting machine
0: guns. Like <laughs> it's very
1: interesting how each dream kind of plays off a different genre of film.
0: And, of course, each dream is being propagated by a different dreamer. The first level is done by Yusuf the Chemist. The second level is done by Arthur, and he's the one in control of it. The third one, I had to watch it a second time to find out what's happening, and I still don't know if I totally get it. That James Bond adventure you're talking about, that's actually the mark. Fisher Jr. is actually dreaming himself into another dream. He's in control of that dream. Even though Arianne said that she built the the fortress, I don't know that I totally went with a lot, a lot of what was going on in the third dream, but it was kind of fun. You have to keep in
3: mind also, two people build a dream. There's the architect and then the dreamer, who, and the architect designs the world the dreamer fills in the details because – in the dream that you said was Arthur's, remember, all of those people of the subconscious were and Murphy's.
0: Correct. You bring your baggage with you, and that's why Mal keeps popping up in some of these dreams is because Leo can't suppress his own anxiety to do his job in someone else's dreams. No one else appears to have baggage. I think that's an interesting choice, but they all are kind of boring people, so maybe they just don't do a lot when they're in reality. Or maybe they're all pigments of Leo's imagination. Or maybe they are. Maybe exactly so. I, I'm not going to, I'm not, Arnie, I'm not saying you're r- <laughs> wrong. I think that interpretation is very spot on. I'm saying it's not my interpretation of the movie. I don't want that to be true because to me that negates so much about what's exciting about the rest of the movie. That was one of the things that even now is a, still a little cloudy about how much is somebody else's and how much is yours. It's a kind of high concept. I kind of gagged on it. Honestly, in the first time that I watched it, I thought, that's kind of stupid, like that we're meant to believe that someone's subconscious would manifest itself as people, but that the other person could build the buildings. I don't know. I I struggle with that. And then the second viewing. I let that go and I had a lot more fun with the concept. Did you guys buy the rules of how the buildings work and how you bring your secrets into safe places and put it in safes and then they can bust open the safes and steal them like their documents or or money?
3: I liked it. I'm a gamer. I'm a big time gamer. And a lot of these concepts reminded me of how a video game might work in this regard. Absolutely. And the the fact of The safes and everything and the physical manifestations of subconscious ideas, I did go with it a lot. The one thing, though, like you're saying, I was fuzzy on is I got that the architect could design the world and then the dreamer filled in the details. So what I didn't get is when Leo is just a participant, why his baggage kept coming. You know, I I really thought he had taken himself out of the architect role to prevent that from happening. So why his stuff kept overriding everybody else's that confused me but i did go with it on the one viewing i really enjoyed that interpretation
1: you know as much as we've talked about how all the exposition in this film i kind of like that you have this little machine they hook everyone up to to induce this dream state to be able to invade each other's dreams they don't explain that a lot and i like that because i i already talked about how i thought it was weird that these dreams were so structured that they you know they weren't fantasy and and i thought Sometimes less is more, less explanation is more. Just say, hey, here's this machine and there's some chemicals that let this happen. And you know what? Maybe that's how all this gets manifested through whatever these chemicals are. Maybe they inhibit parts of the mind, you know, to suppress certain things. Maybe, you know, that's why the dreamer could bring the people, but the architect could bring, you know, the setting. I bought into it just because they didn't go off too much about how these chemicals worked and how this machine worked. So I, I didn't get caught up.
0: It does come up in just little tiny ways. You're not going to get that on the first viewing. On the second one, it, they would catch me from time to time. One of the ones I really liked was Yusuf, the chemist, says that he designed the sedative in a way that has absolutely no impact on the inner ear, and which is, of course, balance. So that not only can they hear what's going on, even in the upper layers, when they have the musical cue, they play Edith Piaf, and that's their cue to know, okay, we're about to wake up and we need to apply the kick to totally get us out of here. But it also means that their balance is off. So if the body is shook in one dream, that's why they're flying around in zero gravity in another one. There are those little details, and you can obsess on them. And I know that there's going to be extended EU of this as well. There's going to be a video game that explores some of these concepts in the greater detail. There's a comic book floating around on the net that kind of sets up some of the backstory. Nolan tells you as much as you need to know in this movie to appreciate and enjoy it. But there is so much to learn. And there's still so much, yes, you can be left questioning.
3: Although I have to say,
0: going into this movie for the first time, knowing virtually nothing
3: about it other than it had involved dreams and shared dreams. I was so worried about certain Nightmare on Elm Street concepts. And I was like, how are people in other people's dreams? Are you going to have to have somebody who pulls you into dreams like the Kristen character from Nightmare on Elm Street 3? Mm. And I I was really worried about a lot of that going in because these are pitfalls that could really break my relationship with a movie's concept. And I liked the fact that there was a machine and you had to actually kidnap the person and hook them up and do all of that and be uninterrupted. It really added a,
0: dare I say, reality to it that made me go with it. Well, I'm glad to hear you guys didn't have a problem with it. Like I said, the first viewing, I definitely did sometimes go, okay, that's really stupid, but I'm going to go with it. And the second one, all of that went away. I really felt like, no, this is the world. You've you've set up the rules. I trust you. And you stick by your rules. And and when you change them, it doesn't feel like a cheat. You would even explain why it's different this time. So if you pay careful attention, you are rewarded. And because of that, I can give the movies higher concept, some of its suspension of, of disbelief that I have to do. It's much easier to do.
1: You know, could I, can I I bring up one of the rules? Because this is one of these rules really impressed me. And that we've already kind of mentioned it had to do with dying, that when you die in the dream, you just wake up. There's no danger. And I know when you guys reviewed Avatar, that was one of your your criticisms. You never felt Absolutely. there was a real sen- sense of danger. And I'm like, ooh. so how are we going to feel danger if they could just wake up? And I like that Nolan came up with this concept that they are going so far into the subconscious that they get stuck in this limbo where if they ever do escape it, they might be brain dead. So I really liked that he thought about these rules, thought about this dream state. And, you know, yeah, he sets up, oh, you'll just wake up if you die. But we're going so far under that there is a sense of danger. And this is just smart, smart writing here.
0: I agree. Although, again, on first viewing, I actually kind of flinched at that. Uh, I was like, oh, come on. You're just trying too hard to to impose a sense of danger when you know that we can't. But it it did make more sense the more that I thought about it when I realized that it wasn't death they were talking about. But really, these are sedatives. You are being injected with chemicals and they are bringing you very, very close to death. It's understandable how if you go there, if you let your mind go there, you're in greater danger. I I could buy that. It took me to reflect after the movie. It really took me not to experience it always in the movie happening simultaneously with the sound and image on screen, but thinking about this movie afterwards, writing down some notes, reflecting on it, doing this podcast, that's the kind of stuff that allows you to make the full arc about what's going on.
3: I think, Jacob, you hit the nail on the head because, yeah, with Avatar, I did have a big problem with it. It didn't feel like danger. But in this movie, when you're hitting the multi-layered climax of the film where you're three or four levels deep in the dream and everybody has to have the kick pretty much at the same time to wake up from it. Well,
0: actually, just just to clarify, you have to be kicked out of the basement dream in order to get up into the other dream in order to get out of that one. You have to do it in a synchronized order. Otherwise, you're not going to come out. Right,
3: right. I didn't like them using the term limbo. It, It felt like even Nolan wasn't quite sure What happened if you died in the dream while in the sedative? I mean, they did say, yeah, you could have brain damage. You could never come out. But it it just seems so nebulous. But yet it seemed bad. And so I did have this sense of danger at the end. And when they have these like domino effect climaxes going on in different time, you know, in Mm. different speeds of slow motion. Uh, And it's beautifully
1: stunning the way they do that.
3: Everything in this movie is stunning. It's, I can't. This
1: van takes about a half hour to fall off a bridge to do a 10 second dive because it's going through different states of dream time. I mean, it's just beautiful.
3: I have no clue what in this movie is real and what is CGI, but for everyone who said Avatar was the prettiest film ever, see this movie. See this movie.
0: Nolan is a big believer in practical effects. Most of it is not CGI, most of that is wire work. And you can tell. You can tell. When uh, Joseph Gordon Levitt is doing those acrobatics in the hallway and all of that, that is a set. I'm not just talking about the effects. I'm talking about the whole
3: way this movie was shot and colored and everything. You know, Avatar had it easy. It was a cartoon,
0: you know? They couldn't go on location, obviously. That that (laughs) had to be done (laughs) by computer rendering. I mean, they were creating landscapes that don't exist. This movie did shoot in location in six different cities. When they're in South Africa, they're really in South Africa. When they're in Paris, they're really there. And that tangibility, it gives it a reality. And in a movie about dreams, it's important to have that sense of reality. That's what Nolan is talking about. How can I trick you to believe that you're really here, even though you're not? You're watching a movie.
3: But everything is shot so beautifully that even if I was there, it wouldn't look that freaking good.
0: Yeah. No, the, Wally Pfister is a great cinematographer. He's shot most of Nolan's work. The Dark Knight is a fantastic piece of, of photography. And this one may even be better. It is gorgeous. It is elegant. People look good when they need to. And yes, it just taps into the different spaces so well. We've given so many compliments to this movie. I would like to throw one thing up here that kind of did aggravate me. First viewing, second viewing, maybe forever. I've got a couple myself. Action. No one gets dinged on action. And I think it's somewhat valid. He can create exciting scenes because the tension is great, because he set up the drama very great. I don't know that he always stages action scenes for maximum impact. And to me, the James Bond, Honor, Majesty's Secret Service, Third Dream, where they're at the Ice Palace and all of that, does not work. I don't think that the whole snowmobile chases and the avalanche and all of that, at that point, I was so intellectually wrapped up in what was going on that I just I couldn't let myself get into the adrenaline. But it really bugs me, too. I think this is just stupid that people can have machine guns and fire at someone and you can outrun that. I mean, I just think that there are too many scenes of people outrunning gunfire when they would at least have been wounded, if not killed. The
1: third dream as you call it the James Bond dream. Mm-hmm. I just didn't feel, I don't know, there was something off about it. Maybe the choreography of the action. Yes, yes, it just I, I think seemed, so. It, it seemed clunky, which you brought up the Dark Knight. You have that amazing chase scene yes. with, with the semi. I love that scene. I mean, the fact that Nolan was able to take something as stupid as the bat pod and like make it awesome, I thought that was great. This, yeah, that whole gunfight in the snow, with the snowmobiles, there was just something off about it. It just mm-hmm. – it didn't seem like he was quite as invested in that as, say, the second, the middle dream where you have all the serial gravity stuff. That is just so beautifully done. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I found my attention uh, – I was losing interest during that the big fight because so much of this movie is thinking and intellectual. And to go into this full-on just gunfight, it, it seems like kind of a letdown by the time he gets to that third dream.
0: I agree. But again, I want to stress the gunfights aren't good. If you have five guys with machine guns and they're just laying waste to the whole landscape, Leo is not going to be able to outrun that. You know what I mean? It just there's that's when you hit plausibility problem. Nolan is so good about giving you plausible answers. And here they just aren't plausible. It's like, no, it's a a dream. Leo's Neo and he's stopping those bullets. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. The Matrix gets brought up a lot. You know what? I think it's more beautiful than the Matrix. I think. That zero gravity stuff that uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt does is way better than any wirefu in any Matrix film. And I'm not a big kung fu guy. You know, there's a reason I wasn't on Karate Kid. It's just not something I've seen a lot of. I don't know a lot of. I like these fights so much better in that second dream because they feel real. I don't know if Joseph Gordon-Levitt can handle it. He looks a little thin to me, but it's <laughs> his dream. So maybe he can kick ass in it. I'm not exactly sure the rules there. But the choreography of it is great.
1: Yeah, I got to say th- that the whole scene where you get the van, it's tumbling down the hill. And so in Joseph Gordon-Levitt's dream, did anyone just – the whole time I'm like, dude, this is like Third Rock from the Sun. Like that's what I associate <laughs> no, with. No, I,
0: lo- I love him. He is a great actor. He does lots of indies now. Don't think about that stupid sitcom. Yeah, it was
1: all
3: I could think about. He
1: totally overcame my bias of that. Like the first No, he's good. The film, yeah. I'm like, dude, he- he's Tommy from Third Rock. But by the end – Like, I really liked his character. But going back to that scene where the the van's tumbling down a hill, so this hallway in the second dream is rotating. They're jumping off the walls. I'm like, why is this guy not Peter Parker in in the next Spider-Man? Why is Nolan not directing the next Spider-Man? He could do such great stuff where this person's jumping all over the place. That scene where the whole hallway's rotating and he's fighting that security guard, once he grabs the gun and, and shoots the guy, the audience erupted. They loved that scene, and and I think you know it, it brought that much more disappointment once you get into that third dream action sequence.
0: I agree. They can't top that scene. They can't top it in action. That the action peaks with Dream Two. Yeah, they tried to go for bigger by having
3: avalanches and armies, and it just wasn't as cool though. It wasn't as original, and it wasn't as stunning.
0: No. And part of the problem too is I didn't really understand whose dream it was. Again, Ariadna said I designed this layer as a catacomb and all of this, but it really was Fisher's dream and he was like, why couldn't I dream I was on a beach? But they did make him the central point of entry. They they do say that he is the one that is the dreamer at that point. It is not Ariadna, it is not Eames, it is him. So why wouldn't he be in control of it?
3: But I still say he was the dreamer on the second level because they said the whole plot was the Tom Beringer character has to be faked in the first level dream, but in the second level dream, it has to be Fisher's subconscious telling him this, so he's telling himself the idea.
0: Two different concepts, Arnie? You're half right. That is correct. When Tom Berenger is talking to him in the first level dream, that is Eames impersonating Tom Berenger. When right. he is talking to Tom Berenger in the second level dream, that is him talking to his projection of who Tom Berenger is. Right. But that dream is controlled by Arthur. Arthur is controlling that dream. So is Arthur the architect? In the second dream. Each time they pop, each time they pop down, someone else has to guide them. Joseph up on top, Arthur in the second, and then it is Cillian Murphy Fisher for that third dream. I think you're getting confused on
3: this, though. I, th- I think that in the top level, Yusuf is the architect. In
0: the second level, Arthur is the architect. In the third level, Ariadna Let me, yeah, let I, me back Ariadno up.
1: Ariadne was the architect me, for all three.
0: <laughs> yeah, and, and you're right. You are absolutely right. And here is something that comes clear in the second viewing. She's not supposed to be there. She is supposed to build those dreams, and then she's done, and she stays and keep, continues to go to school in Paris. However... She takes a personal interest in Leo because of his mal-issues. And she feels like because no one else on the team knows what's going on, and she has broken into his world of secrets. It's sort of like an apartment building full of guilty moments and memories. She's seeing that. She feels like she needs to come along, so they buy a seat for her on first glass at the last minute. She's not architecting anything at that point once she is in the second half of the movie. She is there to observe Leo, and that is her only function. The worlds are already built. But the creator, or rather the person, there is a central person each time that is the dreamer. That is the person that needs to be woken up to get to the next level. And that is, again, Yusuf, then Arthur, and then Fisher himself. I, and I then- still
3: think, even though you've seen it twice, I still think you're wrong because the subconscious people are always Fishers.
0: And I'm not denying that. And that will be true if they went four more dreams down, his... Projections would still find them because he is ultimately the target and the central focus. But there are people guiding it down. I guess that's what I'm saying. Like when you go scuba diving and there's a team leader, the, Arthur is the team leader in that second one.
3: Right, right, right. That I, I'll agree with. Yeah, it, it's so weird to try to discuss, you know, but it's a partner dream. And like you say, Yusuf and Arthur are one of the partners, but Silly and Murphy is always the second partner it's it's always his subconscious
0: ultimately everything goes back to him because he's the mark he's the one that they're picking for information and creating these traps I'd like really like the con here I I, you know I like sting movies there was a movie called the brothers bloom a couple years back it had Adrian Brody not one of my favorites if you've heard predator but he was really fun in it Mark Ruffalo and it's the last movie I can remember since the sting the actual movie from the 70s where I thought oh cons we need to have this again but uh, I I really like con movies, and I think that the cons here are really smart. They've really thought about a way of how someone can trick themselves into thinking somebody else's idea is their own. They've set that up well, and the way that that plays out through three separate dream worlds really makes a lot of sense.
1: Speaking of cons, I want to talk about kind of the perception that this film gave from the trailers, because that's the only information I had going in, in what we actually saw in the movie. And in the trailers, you get Leo and Ellen Page sitting around. You see the cities morphing around them. And I, I thought, okay, this is going to be a big part of the movie. You know, they're going to be running around and change a building or whatnot. And really, that's only one scene where they're doing all this exposition, where they're using Adriana as this focal character so that the viewer could understand what's going on and get all this information to them. And so you get this one scene where she goes into the dream world. She messes it around. You learn that it's dangerous to move buildings around, to change the architecture during the dream because then the, the I guess, dreamer subconscious will turn on you and all the people start attacking you as the, as the architect. Did that ever really play out? I thought at some point we were going to see a moment when we got to the main dream sequences where they were going to have to change the setting for some reason. And that, I don't know, that never really felt like it played out. And it makes visually for some beautiful, amazing scenes But ultimately, it it, kind of just seemed excessive.
0: No, I think you're absolutely right. And here's the thing. That's where I thought they were going. They they get to the point where they realize they have a lot less time in the third dream than they were supposed to. So they've got to cut past this very complicated maze that she designed to take hours to go through and get to the heart of it really quick. Well, Cillian Murphy already knows that he's in a dream. Why not bend the building? Why not create a doorway where there was no doorway? That's exactly what I thought was going to happen. But instead, they just keep playing James Bond Adventure Boy. But I I agree. It is strictly there to tell you how worlds are built. But it just has absolutely no application in the high story at all.
3: And it kind of plays out a little bit. There's the scene where Arthur and... Ariadna are going up the endless staircase and then in Arthur's dream, he has the staircase that plummets to nowhere. And- but
0: he didn't manipulate that. Yeah, he didn't manipulate that. He just knew that that's where the flaw in the design was. Mm-hmm. I wanted to see buildings move. I guess that was so cool at the beginning that I really did want to see James Bond villains with machine guns thrown off balance as the whole fortress twist like a Rubik's Cube. I wanted to see that and I thought I was going to see that and I didn't see that.
3: Yeah, and when you were in Mal and Dom's dream, everything was moving. The buildings were rising and falling in the background. And yeah, in the Silly and Murphy dreams, none of that ever happened.
1: Yeah. It's just like if you're gonna watch Ghostbusters and they talk about crossing the streams at the beginning of the film, you mm-hmm. know that's what's gonna save the day. Yeah. And here they talk about changing the buildings and it never plays a pivotal role in the climax.
0: And the third dream would be the perfect way to apply it because Silly and Murphy knows he's dreaming. You can't do it in the other dreams because you're trying to create the sense that the person is in a reality. But when the person, the mark believes they're in a dream, why not show them that power? Why not go there? And yes, why not reward the audience for that setup? Uh, the screenwriting rule is if a gun is introduced in Act 1, it has to go off in Act 3, and this gun just never goes off. But so much is introduced that
3: doesn't, and
0: that's somewhat disappointing.
3: I really think that some of the best moments are in these early Ellen Page dreams, like when all of the fruit is exploding and everything. I thought that was just so great and there's never a moment like that again. They
0: didn't make an action movie. I guess they kind of trick us into thinking that we're eventually going to wind up in the matrix. And this is not the matrix. I mean, I, I kept reading the matrix dropped when people tried to describe this movie in shorthand. Well, it's like the matrix. It, It really isn't. Only in the sense that it's about alternate realities, but it's take on them. The whole idea that you can be in freefall martial arts is not here, and it's not an action movie. This is a puzzle, but it is not an action movie. I was okay with that. Here's the thing, though. I'm not
3: saying that the scenes where the fruit's exploding is an action scene. But it's just a great visual to describe the end of a dream, and we get that a lot in the beginning, the dreams collapsing. I kind of think that's what the avalanche was at the end, but it never happens as much at the end. At the end, they're all getting kicked out. We don't get to see the dreams collapsing in on them or anything like that.
0: Correct, correct, yeah.
3: I'm not saying that we needed people to be dodging avalanches or anything. I'm just in saying. Bullet time. Yeah. I'm just saying that they set up a whole
0: lot of rules about the dream that they really didn't need to because it never comes back. I'm going to disagree slightly. I think it does come back, but it never comes back in as visually stunning a way. It never is applied in a visual sense. It's usually a way of explaining a plot hole later on that somebody says to another person. There's a lot of talking. There is a lot of exposition in this movie. And a lot of things get covered by blah, blah, blah.
1: But, I mean, that is a problem, though. The third act is supposed to be the biggest act. And we have these, again, beautifully shot, slow-motion explosions where you can see every little detail. I felt we never really got a big visual at the end. Again, the second dream with all the zero-gravity stuff is beautiful-looking. These explosions, when we're learning about the dream world, are beautiful-looking. Limbo's kind of boring. It's a bunch (laughs) of stagnant skyscrapers with some little homes. I thought that was really the place to do something big to top all the other visuals in
0: this film. It was their dreams gone sour. I mean, it was the place where you get the sense they had done that to build those worlds, but we never got to see that. One of the things I thought was really confusing the first time I watched this movie was why Mal was involved in dreams at all. Like, I thought, was she a member of the team? Like, what was her role if she was? Like, why did Dom bring her there ever? Like, why wouldn't he keep that in the real world? It became clear to me, just through little details, that he was addicted to dreaming and that he got her hooked. It's like you can't date someone that's doing drugs and not do drugs yourself. And that he got her hooked... On the idea of manipulating reality in the dream world. And so much so that they kept diving deeper and deeper until they were in their ideal place, their Garden of Eden. They were literally building anything and everything that they wanted to do right there in the dream, in the subconscious, in limbo, as it's called. And it had gone sour and had, because they had spent too much time there, because Dom could still remember that it wasn't real. It, for him, it always was a rub to know that as much as as close to reality as it was in the end it was fake and that there were real children that they were neglecting there were real people getting hurt which is again why I would make the argument that there is a real realm
3: i believe there is a reality the question is just do we see it but yeah that was something that got me was you know i found it kind of amusing that they lived you know they said i think 50 years in that dream realm together they're like, let's take a vacation from our kids. They're only like three and five, but I've had enough of them. Let's take 50 years off.
0: Do you know any married couples with kids? I, <laughs> I think that that is definitely a fantasy. <laughs> I have friends that I haven't seen in 50 years because they've had kids. I can totally understand how that is. It feels like a guilt-free vacation. And again, I think it's a reflective of probably how Nolan and his producer wife look at it when they start a new movie project. It's like, oh, we're just going to leave all of these domestic troubles behind and create something new and fun, and it will be more rewarding than our reality.
1: And from what I've read, he worked on this film for like eight to ten years. Ten years writing it, yes. It feels that way.
0: It feels like we are walking into a construction that is very, very old and very, very intricate. Here's one of my problems with this movie.
3: It's gorgeous, it's engaging, it stimulates the mind, but I couldn't really find myself caring about anybody in it or caring what happened, caring if they went to limbo. There were no personal stakes. So much happens that you don't really take the time to get to know any of these people. You find out what happened to Dom, but you don't know Dom. I was interested intellectually on what happens to Dom, but I wasn't connected to Dom. I didn't feel bad for Dom. Arnie,
1: I 100% agree with you this was probably my biggest problem with this film is that I really didn't care about these characters. I I couldn't get personally invested for whatever reason. The character that I cared about the most was Fisher Jr., Cillian Murphy, who's kind of just the victim. He's the one getting played in this film. But maybe that's because he has the most touching story, even if it is based on a con. It's based on a heist. as him trying to reconcile his relationship with his father, I thought, you know, at, at the end of This third dream, he opens the safe and he pulls out this pinwheel that he had as a little boy that he took a picture of his father with. Like, I really liked that story. I liked the development with that character, even though I'm not sure how much of it is real. At least it's going on in his mind and it's something he wants to reconcile, even though he's been kind of pushed that way. rest of the characters I didn't really care about. Okay, Leo hasn't seen his kids in a while, but there was just some kind of block there where I couldn't get personally invested in anyone else.
3: I would like to amend my statement. You're right. I did connect with the Cillian Murphy thing with the father issues and the I I did connect with that character you are right but nobody else I
0: mostly agree with you guys I think Leo gets a lot more screen time with it and I do think his scenes with Mal are some of the best I do like that relationship but as far as like emotional grabber no I don't I think that's a ding against Nolan he gets that a lot that his movies are cold sometimes they're even labeled like Kubrick I, I don't think they're like Kubrick but it can be a very chilly intellectual Actual, the mind of an engineer kind of thing. They are not uh, nostalgic and romantic and warm. I kind of like this style, so it's not a problem for me. The team, we know as much as we need to know about them. I think Eames is a funny, wry character. I think Arthur is the straight man playing off of him. That's kind of funny. And the only character that I really feel gets the short shaft, I really felt bad for her. I like Ellen Page, but Ariadna sucks. It sucks to be her because she really isn't a person. She's there to ask questions and wait for responses. She does not have a character arc at all. They do introduce the idea. It's a It's a killer little moment where Arthur has a crush on her, and he cons her into giving a kiss, but for the most part she really doesn't have a storyline or or a sense of a person at all, and that's unfortunate because she plays a part in the climax so much that you would think she... I thought, you know what, I'm glad, because I thought they were going to work in a romance between her and Leo, that her love with Leo was going to be what pulls him out of the Mal thing. I'm like, God, don't go there. She looks like she's 12, and they didn't go there, but I was fearful of it.
3: I think part of the problem is that when you have a movie that is told so much in montage because Nolan has so much information, this movie is practically a data dump. And Mm -hmm. that's why there's so much in montage is because you can tell a lot of things in a very short amount of time. For a a two-and-a-half-hour movie, it feels like this movie
0: was too short. and. What got lost was character moments. Well, let me let me ask you this. Do you feel like you need to have that in order to appreciate what this movie is? I don't think every movie needs to have me emotionally stirred. 2001 is not an emotionally stirring movie, but it is a great mind-expanding movie. And I kind of put this in that category. I, I can definitely go with movies that are cold and cerebral and epic, and that's fine. I can get my comedies somewhere else.
1: I, I could do that too, Stuart. This one just seemed, it felt like because of the themes. You know, it's great science fiction because great science fiction is never about the technology. It's never about the future. It's about human relationships. This is about Dom and Mal, their relationship, what happened to that. And, and I feel because it's, it's such a relationship-centric film that I should have felt. Maybe it's an emotional response because it is about a husband and a wife, about a husband trying to see his kids again. I felt like there should have been more emotion in here, and there just wasn't.
0: Yeah, I mostly agree with you guys. I don't think we're too far apart about this, but I felt like there was enough there to get me at least to understand it. Maybe not to feel it, but at least to understand it. I understood Dom. I thought Leo was very good in this. I thought his scene where they're on the two different ledges talking to each other and she's trying to bait him into jumping with her was the emotional core of the movie uh, or the scene where they're committing suicide by lying on the train tracks and the train's coming. Those scenes are powerful, but they're not... Yeah, my tears weren't in my eyes. I wasn't like, oh, my God, she's dead. It, it, it doesn't hit you that way. There's not enough time to. It's just the movie. You're right. With montages, there's not enough time to linger and allow yourself to feel connected. We're moving on. Next, next, next.
3: And I'm not saying that I should be weeping when Mal jumps off the ledge. I'm just saying that I need to root for somebody. This was entirely an intellectual experience. This movie was a math book. Math can be intellectually stimulating. I'm a computer programmer. I actually can get excited about math. But that doesn't ever mean I'm invested in it.
0: I don't think you're wrong. I I couldn't argue with that. Yes. I got to ask, just because it was so much of a crux in our Scorsese retrospective, how was Leo for you this time?
1: I thought he was great. In all of the the Leo Scorsese retrospective, there might have been minor things here and there, but uh, I thought he was great in this film.
3: I thought across the board, the acting was phenomenal. Really. I mean, I'm a big Cillian Murphy fan, and I like seeing him again, but... Ellen Page was great. Leo was pitch perfect. I felt he was a little over the top in Shutter Island. There are some parallels here to his Shutter Island character, but he did it right here. And I I think that, honestly, I think Nolan was able to rein in Leo a little better than Scorsese. Scorsese, I think, is too friendly with Leo to actually professionally collaborate.
0: So I guess this leads us to the last part, which is the end. And more to the point, Arnie, you've already... Sort of given us your interpretation of this. Jacob, I'm curious to know what you thought the last few scenes. We return to the beginning. Sato is an old man. Have you come to kill me? There's a gun there. And the next thing we know, we're in the plane and it's a happy ending. Or is it?
1: This movie got two huge reactions out of the crowd. The first one was during the the Arthur (laughs) Spider-Man scene, as I would call it. The second was the ending. You, you gets to the end and it's been set up that you know you're in reality when this little top falls down. And Leo, he spins that top, goes and sees his kid, and then they cut back to the top. And it wobbles just a little bit and then it goes to the credits. And the entire crowd just like screamed out in agony. That's when you know <laughs> they get what's going on. They were so invested. They wanted to know. They knew that it could be a dream. It was great to see an entire audience connect on the film uh, on that level. And you know what? I don't I don't know how I want to interpret. I, I like that it's open-ended. You know, if I'm in a good mood, I want it to be a happy ending. Mm-hmm. If I'm in one of my more uh, cynical moods, I like that maybe Dom is still stuck in limbo. And this is this new reality created. Maybe he's sitting brain dead. In some, you know, hospital or or in some psychiatric ward because he was arrested off the plane and and he's drooling uh, in a, you know, a psych ward somewhere. I kind of like that. You know, I thought of a couple other movies that have to do with what is real and maybe is this a dream? You know, I thought of Total Recall. Whether that was a dream or real, it's still a happy ending. You know, Mm -hmm. there's no possibility that Arnold is drooling in some psych ward because his mind was fried. There's really no clues at that. And then, you know, with Minority Report, you get the there's these theories that the whole ending is a dream as uh, Tom Cruise is stuck, uh, mind dead in some prison. And again, it's just too happy of an ending. I don't think Spielberg would go there. Nolan would go there. And But I like that he keeps it ambiguous, but it sets it up early on that there's a possibility that the hero of this movie is just drooling away, destroyed his brain. But but at least he finally got to that image, you know, the whole time he's fighting for this image to see his kid's face again. And at least he got there. So it's kind of this bitter, sweet ending. And and I like that it was, like I said, I like that it was ambiguous enough that depending on my mood that day, I could decide what ending that I want.
3: I gotta say, even though I came down with one view earlier the fact is i am torn because it seems implied that dom can't remember what his kids faces look like it's been so long since he's seen them he can't remember what they look like and at the end we finally see the faces and you know does that mean it's reality because he couldn't remember so he
0: couldn't formulate it in a dream i, I got a third take here people here's what i honestly believe he died This is the afterlife. Saito reaches for his gun and they cut to the plane. But Saito picked up that gun and he put a bullet in Leo and he put a bullet in himself and they're dead. And that this is the afterlife. This is what lies next. And maybe heaven is only another dream. Maybe there's something that lies beyond it. But that this we have actually moved beyond material and dream reality into something new. If that was the case, wouldn't his wife have been there? Who's to say she won't be? His dad was there, and we know he was already in France teaching. Was that his dad? I thought it was his father-in-law. Yeah, Michael Caine was his dad. Michael Caine has a bit part as his father. He teaches architecture in France. He taught his son it. He taught Ellen Page. That's how they get hooked up. But he's in America. They established that the grandma is raising the kids and that she's in America which doesn't totally make sense, because Michael Caine is working in France at least part of the time, but he's there waiting for him. That's your first clue to know that, wait a minute, how did he get there? Right, and that
3: that is again part of the reason I wondered if it was a dream, but I didn't know if it was his father or his father-in-law. I knew that he was the grandfather of Leo's kids, but I didn't know... If he was Leo's dad or just his teacher, you know, I, I didn't get that. Was
0: it stated? Did I miss it? Yes, it's his dad, his dad and teacher okay. both. But regardless, you ask why wouldn't Mal be there if that's heaven? Because he had laid Mal to rest because he didn't stay in the subconscious to be with her. He went to be with Sato and bring Sato back. He got over Mal. I he, he says, I had a full life with you. We had 50 years together, and that's wonderful, but I can't keep projecting a shade of who you are. I want to remember you in total, and so I am going to put the shade abreast and accept the fact that you're gone. And so in his afterworld, she wouldn't necessarily be there. It's an interesting take, and I love the fact that they takes the film up a notch to the realm of spiritual, because I think that ultimately these questions— do hit that. Existential questions. Why are we here? What is reality? What is truth? What happens to us when we die? Is this all just a dream? I think it encapsulates it brilliantly. I think the ending is the best part of a very good movie.
3: You know what I hate about movies like this? I hate about movies where they put it in such a way that it could be anything. You just decide and go. It kinda of pisses me off because it's it feels like a cheat. Like because obviously the director has one vision. It's like it's like the movie Donnie Dargrove. You listen to the director's commentary, the director's like, Well, you can view this however you want. However, I have a
0: view of that it's this. Well, then tell us No, I disagree. I think you're being fundamentalist. I think life is this way. It is what you make out of it. It is what what you take on it, and people can have conflicting, alternating versions of, of what it is, and that both are, are are just as right or wrong as the other. It's called postmodernism, and that's what this is. It
3: depends on my mood. Like, Jacob, if I'm in a mood where I want to be mind-screwed, then I love this stuff, and other times I'm just like, you pretentious douche.
1: I'm going to put my, <laughs> my grumpy old man cap back on. Again, going back to the audience I saw this with, a bunch of people in the early 20s, nothing against you kids, just not my scene anymore. The fact that at almost 3 in the morning, this entire audience like, stood around to discuss this film instead of going to the club, doing a couple hits of cocaine, whatever the kids do these days. To me, that's great art, (laughs) that it spawned a conversation. I I think the end was masterful. I don't think it was a cheat. I think there's bad writers and and directors that come up with cheats where they don't know what the ending is. It was done in a way that I thought was convincing. And the fact that it got people to talk afterwards, to talk about the state of reality that people were like, dude, what if this really is a dream? Maybe it's surface, you know, pseudo philosophy, but people don't think like that all the time. So to, for a film to get, you know, a bunch of young kids to think that way and to have those conversations to me is successful.
0: Yeah. The movie asked big questions. It asked you to go big. I admire the fact that it goes big and I admire the audience for going with it. Both crowds that I saw, it was sold out and It was a very mixed crowd of all different types and everyone clapped and really seemed to feel engaged and felt like it had something to offer. And I think that's all you can really ask for in a movie this complicated. So, Stuart, Jacob, do you recommend Inception? Uh, It's pretty clear that I do. I think the movie, not only do I recommend you see it, I recommend that you see it twice. The first time I saw it, I thought, it's really good, but there's these things that I don't like and, and I had to wrestle with it. And it's just... It's so much more of an easy flow and a rewarding experience. The more you submerge into it, the more you ask questions, the better it becomes. And how nice it is to have a movie like that. So often, the more you pick at something, the worse it looks. And I feel like it's the opposite here. It's definitely one of the best of Nolan. I like everything the man's made, and it's up there with his Batman films and Memento. I think high, high recommend for Inception.
1: Jacob. I'm also going to give this a high, high recommendation. This is – it's not a perfect film. It's got its issues. We, we discuss those. But its strengths are, are just so much greater. It's a compelling science fiction story. It, it's a compelling – Just human story, trying to reconcile the loss of loved ones and one's relationship with people. It's beautifully shot. Just just some amazing effects and cinematography. I started off the film, like I said, kind of confused, muddled. It just seemed kind of off by the end of the film. I was on board. I loved it. I I definitely plan on seeing this again in the theaters. High, high recommend for me.
3: And I also recommend Inception. I agree with what you both said. I think that technically this film is flawless. In technical ways, it is a perfect film. If you liked the aesthetic of The Dark Knight, I think it's even better here. But it it has that big, epic feel to it. I do wish I could connect to the characters a little bit more. But beyond that, I really, really like this film. I recommend it, though, with a caveat. I don't think this film's for everybody. I really don't. I think that... If you're the kind of person who just likes easy popcorn viewing, this isn't for you. Stick with Avatar. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is a game of chess, whereas Avatar is Connect 4. This is going to challenge your mind. It's going to make you think. And if you don't like to think, then don't go see this movie. But if you enjoy some intellectual stimulation and want to have conversations like the one we've had here, I think this is honestly one of the conversations I've enjoyed most out of all of our now playings. Just because, again, it stimulated my mind and it had things to talk about, then yes go see Inception, go see it in theaters, see it multiple times. I think like Nolan's first movie I saw, Memento, this is one that's just going to get better the more and more you watch it. So Stuart, Jacob, thank you for joining me for this episode of Now Playing, and we're all going to be at Comic-Con next week, so we're taking the week off. No podcast next week. We're just going to be drinking beers at the yard house and handing out a special podcast. I was about to say, there is a show, but you got to work to get there, to get it. <laughs> you got to come and have a beer. And if you're dressed like a human centipede, Stuart will buy you a beer. Yes. We're going to be there on Saturday, July 24th at 7 p.m. Please do RSVP in our forums or our Facebook or our Twitter. You can find the links to all of those at nowplayingpodcast.com. And also at nowplayingpodcast.com, if you scroll down to the bottom, you'll see a little donate button. You can help keep nowplayingpodcast.com coming by donating, helping support the show. We have no advertisings because, you know, people hate commercials. So we're just counting. We're like PBS, folks. We're counting on you. We're You know, we're doing the whole tele drive thing and you know maybe at some point we'll have a bag we can send you. Actually, you can support us by buying a bag at the Now Playing store, too, where you can find a link from nowplayingpodcast.com. And come to our forums, discuss Inception. Let us know your thoughts. Was it heaven? Was it hell? Was it a dream? Was it reality? Did the top start to fall at the end? Let us know in our forums. All those links are at nowplayingpodcast.com. And we will be back in two weeks, Stuart, you and I, as we fight the future with the X-Files.
0: Yeah, exploring more mysteries. I hope that they are just as captivating. And then after X Files, you guys will be
3: watching Scott Pilgrim versus the World. So excited! Love the I, comic book.
1: Huge fan. Can't wait for the movie to come out.
0: I've been wanting to read that comic book. I don't know, Jacob. Should I read it first, or should you just go in cold?
1: Go in cold. That way we'll have we can have a good discussion about it. See what Fair your enough. take is, and what my take is as the comic book geek.
0: Fair enough. I can't wait.
3: And then premiering at Comic Con this coming Thursday, The Lost Boys Three. And so Jacob, I, and Marjorie will be watching that and reviewing the Lost Boys trilogy. There's a trilogy? I barely even knew there was a two. So all that and more, you can find our entire upcoming lineup in our forums or our Facebook or our Twitter. Links to all of it at nowplayingpodcast.com. And until next time, we'll see you in
0: our dreams. It is possible.
2: Thank you for listening to Now Playing. Be sure to head to our website, nowplayingpodcast.com, and listen to our other movie reviews, including our in-depth movie series retrospectives of such film franchises as Star Trek, Terminator, A Nightmare on Elm Street, and more.
0: You mustn't be afraid to dream of a bigger,
2: darling. And while at NowPlayingPodcast.com, you can find a link to our forums where you can discuss these films, as well as links to our Facebook and Twitter pages, where you can read our movie mini-reviews and chat with other listeners about the show. What's happening? The subconscious is looking for the dreamer. If you enjoy Now Playing, please support the show. You can find a link to donate to the show using PayPal from our homepage, or you can buy Now Playing t-shirts, coffee mugs, mouse pads, and much more at the Now Playing Cafe Press store. Support from listeners like you help keep Now Playing operating. Now Playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright
0: 2010. Tom Berenger, where has he been? the buffet (laughs) (laughs) too easy too easy but true
3: (laughs) I'm sitting there and I'm like is that Tom Barringer and Marjorie's no 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 and then like a half hour later it is Tom Behringer. he got fat
0: (laughs) yeah and tan like (laughs) trapped in an uh, an all you can eat tanning salon it's yes (laughs) 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 looking at him just made me want to snap into a Slim Jim I don't know he's just like dried meat or something it's weird (laughs) He is a little leathery.
3: This is a game of chess, whereas Avatar is Connect Four. We're starting this little fight up again. (laughs) I like Connect Four.
0: And I like chess. So there you go.
3: If Avatar is Connect 4, Jason takes Manhattan is flipping a coin in the air repeatedly.